This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. The Chicago Sun-Times is celebrating a big milestone. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's been about a year since the Chicago Sun-Times and WBEZ joined forces under the banner of Chicago Public Media. And it's been 75 years since the Sun-Times first went to print back on February 2nd, 1948. Here to talk about that great history is Sun-Times columnist Neil Steinberg and Sun-Times reporter Stefano Esposito. Stefano, take us back to that day, February 2nd, 1948. What was going on in Chicago back then? Well, I wasn't actually alive in 1948, <laughs> but um, it, I can take you back to the time of 1948. Um, it was the post-war, World War II boom. Um, it, it, jobs, as I say in the story, jobs are plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, sun ti- the Sun and the Times went on sale that day for four cents. Yeah, the the Chicago Daily Sun and right, Times. Right, which was which was the Sun the Sun of the Times had combined together. There was labor trouble. Right. Marshall Field had started the Sun in 1941 as a counterweight to uh, Colonel McCormick's uh, fiercely pro. Uh, uh, well, let's not talk about it, the, the Tribune. And uh, so three days after it, it went to print, uh, there was Pearl Harbor, and so our, the purpose was mooted. Uh, he ended up buying the Times, which was a scrappy photo sports tabloid, basically. And because of these labor difficulties, he blended them together really for production. So there wasn't a lot of mm-hmm. ballyhoo. They kind of did it on the sly. And, and, and in the paper at the time, it basically says, don't worry, all your features will be here. We're blending it together. Like, don't notice. Yeah. Which was true, wasn't it, though? That was, that's basically what – Yeah, they combined the yeah. things. It was really – I mean, it's so funny. To, you see the, the present resonate. You know, there's labor discussions now. There are labor discussions then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a book called The Vanishing Daily from 1943. So, you know, the things that we think are, are new developments kind of have been around for a long time. Yeah. Well, uh, Stefano, I got a sneak peek at the great piece that you have that's uh, publishing tomorrow. At, it's all about the paper's history. And in it, you lay out the many reporters and the uh, and the columnists whose bylines have appeared in the paper over the years. So talk about some of them. And uh, I know that you even wrote that Eleanor Roosevelt had a column. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know exactly what it was she wrote about, mm. but I talked to Mary Mitchell um, for, for the story, of Neil as well. Yeah. And what was fascinating, you know, we all know Mary Mitchell, legendary columnist at the. We love Mary this, Mitchell. We love here at loves, Reset. But she was in a summer intern at one point in, in the early 90s. And uh, like a lot of people who show up in the Sometimes newsroom, in awe of, of you know, all this the his, journalistic history. And she sat, the, her editor on her first day asked her to 
uh, cover a story about a moose on the loose in somewhere on the north side. God knows where, probably Lincoln. You know about this? She, she, she what was an a, assignment. I, she was Mary Johnson at the time, and I, I taught her to use the ATEX system. And <laughs> she was such a great writer. I, I, I was part of these meeting, staff meeting, where you would meet with the editor. And I would always end the meeting saying, you've got to hire Mary Johnson. It was, it was like Carthage must be destroyed. It was like, you <laughs> must be. She was 40, I think, like 40. Well, she had been a secretary, at, secretary at Jenner and Block, I believe. And uh, so, yeah, she was, she was a fabulous – Patricia Smith was hired the same day I was, if you know Pat Smith. He was a great yeah. poet. And so, you know, she would write her poetry on the system there. It was really fun. Oh she was a, a fun person. We, also, we have to mention Mike Royko as well because he – after. But, go ahead. I was going to say, but Mary Mitchell sat there for an hour petrified. She couldn't move. She couldn't do anything. And eventually an editor comes up to her and says – what the hell are you doing? We have a story to write. She just didn't, you know, she was just, I said, just so in awe of, uh, of the Sun-Times I and, love and this. Chicago journalism. I mean, so, so you obviously, you did a lot of research, uh, Stefano, I imagine. What were some of your favorite stories that you, you came across? Uh, I think to me what was kind of amazing, you know, having been through what we've been through in this, in this industry was to see how many people we could throw at a story. You know, it's a tr- tragically 1970, was it May 25th, 1979, mm-hmm. a DC-10 cartwheeled down the runway at O'Hare, killing 270-some people. And we, th- you know, we threw 28 reporters at that story, um, 14 photographers. Wow. I mean, it just, you know, it was, it was incredible. That, that startled the me. The resources. The <laughs> resources. And we always, I'm sure then we were still complaining that we were outmanned by the Tribune Two, three to one. To give you an idea of how horrifying that accident was, American Airlines retired the number, the flight number, and never used it again. I just called them last year to check that they had never used it. Wow. Um, it was just, I mean, that you know, the thing about being in the paper, having the newsroom downtown, used to be where Trump Tower is, where people are unfamiliar, is that you would be there and things would start to happen. I mean, I, I was thinking back, I, I was on, I've been on staff for half of that 75 years. And, Yet nearly 36, right? 37 wow. next month. And uh, I, I thought of September 11th, you know, when we, no one knew what was happening and we're all running around. And John Cruikshank was the publisher then. And he gathered us around the city desk and he said, you know, this is probably the biggest story of our lives, but it's also an enormous human tragedy. And I think we should all pray. And we all stood there and held hands. And I'm sure it's never happened before since, or at least not in my memory. And it, it was one of those moments. And then, you know, 10 seconds later, it was over and we were all running around different areas. Wow. Doing things. Um, what are some of the biggest moments you've covered, Stefano? Oh. <sighs> Goodness me. Well, you know, I, the kind of stuff that I do, I, I, I always say this to people, I like to make a big deal on little stories. So I, I do a lot of, a lot of features. I'm, trying, I'm, thinking the, I'm thinking of the story. Well, I, I mentioned this to your producer that, that I covered uh, Oprah when she showed up at the courthouse. That's a big deal. It was a big deal at the time. You know, it was, and, and, uh, and she shows up and, and she's, it's a, she's a prospective juror f- for the case and she's in this court, court, fishbowl courtroom and at some point – the judge, she, judge says, um, is there anybody here who would hold it against the defendant if he didn't testify on his own behalf? And one person raises their hand, and it's Oprah, of course. And, he, and the judge says, and your name, ma'am? Like Everybody in the courthouse knew she was. People have been talking it's about this Oprah. for days. It's Oprah. And we put this all over the front page with these big, splashy headlines. And, you know. Oh, I love that. It was, it was a lot. And sadly, the guy who was on trial, she was, he was completely overshadowed. You know, nobody remembers his name. And he was fa- she, Oprah and her jury found him guilty. But. <laughs> this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Tomorrow, the Chicago Sun-Times is celebrating 75 years in publication. It was February 2nd, 1948, when what was then known as the Chicago Daily Sun and Times first hit newsstands. 
And the rest, as they say, is history. Here to tell us about it are Sun-Times columnist Neil Steinberg and Sun-Times reporter Stefano Esposito. So remind us how, Stefano, we got from the Chicago Daily Sun and Times, no dashes, to the Chicago Sun-Times. I don't know. Or Neil? Thank um, God Neil's here. It was, it was uh, the, the Sun goes first because it was Fields, the paper he created, so the Times was the one he bought. That's why it went second. Um, it, it was a masthead thing, and they wanted to fit it into a certain space. We've redesigned the mast. The masthead used to have a, a camera on it. We were, you know, we pushed the photo aspect. We were imitating the Daily News in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, in the months afterwards, it, it crushed down. Um, we were always known. There's a wonderful book called uh, Chicago, the Second City where the firm by A.J. Liebling. And if you look at his description of the Sun-Times in 1951, he says that we're this scrappy tabloid who, like, holds the government's feet to the fire and exactly known for the kind of – we should mention the investigative stories like the Mirage Tavern, like abortion providers, you know, which is, a, a, I mean, an amazing story where there were Michigan Avenue, quote-unquote, abortion clinics that would basically perform abortions on women who were not pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we had female reporters who were literally leaping off tables before the procedures that they didn't need were done to get these stories, which is, when you think about it, it's a very uh, a boss move on their part. Yeah. Well, for this story, uh, Stefano spoke with Don Hayner, who started at the paper back in 1982 as a night reporter and then retired 30 years later as editor-in-chief. So here's a quote from Hayner. Quote, the Sun-Times ethos has always been the chip on the shoulder, the second paper in the second city kind of syndrome. That always kind of brought everybody together as a team. So your thoughts, Neil? Don and I worked on a story together where we did a survey to every single kindergarten teacher in the Chicago public school system where we discovered that at the time kids got to kindergarten, they were so far behind they could never catch up. And we'd find kids who didn't know their own names when they showed up at school or couldn't count or had mm. the colors. And that's that kind – I remember sitting, you know, waiting to get these questionnaires back. And, you know, those stories don't exist unless someplace like the Sun-Times goes out and does them. I mean, there's several purposes for a paper where a frame – you know, there's so – especially now, you think that papers are not necessary. But there's so much information coming at you. And you need a place like the Sun-Times with 100 professionals that are kind of trying to give you the part yeah. you need – and a horoscope, if you like that. Yeah, I mean, Stefano Hayner must have had a lot of stories, huh? Yeah, he was great. I, I loved hearing about about his smoke. I, he was here. It was a two pack a day Marlboro habit, but he didn't actually smoke forties. How many, how many cigarettes are in the pack? I don't smoke. Uh, oh, 20. Twenty. Okay, so he didn't no actually idea. smoke I, I, I should, cigarettes. I should plug. I should plug <laughs> Don's book on Jesse Binga, the yeah. great black bank, banker, because he was working on that when he was there. And I tracked down uh, uh, Bessie Coleman's niece or something, because Coleman and Binga supposedly had. Not Anyways, so he, he wrote this marvelous book about uh, African American black history yeah. in Chicago. I mean, just someone again. You know, the paper was always filled with all these w- wild, wonderful characters who had these interesting lives, and that's you know, a paper is supposed to be a universe. But but it's and it gives you an, it gives but it gives the young cub reporter an opportunity to learn and there's a story in in my piece about Tom McNamee okay. who, who retired as uh, editorial page editor and what I don't know last year last year yeah yeah, yeah. Last year. and he's sitting next to the legendary investigative reporter Charles Nicodemus and he's you know I'm not Tom McNamee. A Tim Novak, excuse yeah. me, who's an investigative reporter, still at the Sun Times. <laughs> anyway, he's sitting next to this to this legendary reporter, and and, and he's and Nicodemus is talking to a a, a media person, comet or something, and he's not getting anywhere. Nicodemus says, "You're pissing me off. You do not want to piss me off." And and Tim was sort of taking all of this in, and now Tim has his own reputation. You know, the last the four words you don't want to hear are right. 
this is Tim Novak. I, it's like so. the Angelnacht, you know, it's, just, it's over, yeah. I, I love your reporting, Stefano, on, on quirky topics as well, right? You know, you recently profiled a field museum scientist who lives in Madagascar, for instance, and uh, that story about thousands of 200-year-old letters, many of them that were sent um, from Chicago, and they're going up for auction. Really good stuff. How do you find these stories? How do I? Well, it's sort of, you know, you develop a bit of a reputation. With, so people call you and they're like, hey, yeah. you won't believe what yeah. I've got. It can be very tricky. I don't know. I think Neil is sort of I, – I, that's one of the – I don't know, that... Stefan. I don't want to interrupt. Oh, do, 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 do. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, you depend on people. You know, trust. You've been in town a while. You know, I think it's like feast or famine. There are days where I go, I'm, I'm twiddling my thumbs thinking about the hell to write about. But I know a good story when I hear it. And that guy – you have to be flexible. I was trying to right. think of what a favorite story of mine was. He sent me once to the opening of the Washington Park Pool, and they had bussed in several hundred uh, Chicago Park District campers to witness, and they had this pool there, and they had this long ceremony with Park District officials, and they were handing over gold diving rings and jumping in the pool themselves, splashing in front of the kids. And I realized as this uh, ceremony went on, the kids weren't getting into the pool and so I shifted from interviewing the park officials to interviewing the kids sitting in the sand going, man, that pool looks good. I wish mm-hmm. you could get in it. And so instead of the really positive story that the park district expected, but where they were too stupid to let the kids in the pool, uh, we changed the story to these poor kids, and they had to throw a big ice cream party for them later and bring them back. Yeah. And I think of all the stories I did, I was very proud of that. And you have to be flexible. Sometimes the story that you're sent for is not the story that's there. And you have to use your eyes. Hundred percent, and and that's when our editors re- rely on us as as reporters when we're out there mm-hmm. in the field, so to say. Um, I also noticed, you know, Neil, you were on top of the news of the fatal police beating of Tyree Nichols recently. Not an easy story, but necessary. I had researched the story on cutting up salad, salad at Farmer's Fridge by Midway Airport, and that's what I planned to do. But as a columnist, I'm really the last daily col- news columnist there. You don't want to be writing about cutting up salad when there's this enormous story here. Absolutely. And a story like that, I mean, I have a lot of, my, my, you know, you write, have to write for everybody. So I'm writing across the spectrum, and I try to grab a centrist tone and say things that are true and thought-provoking. But, you know, the first reason I gave was because they're cops, and cops didn't like that and wrote to me. But And I surprised them by saying, you know, I write positive things as well, and I sent them stories, and I start dialogues. And that's another part of working there is you, you have direct communication with your readers. You listen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did a story on a woman named Edith Renfro-Smith. And the way I got the story was a reader said, uh, there's a woman turning 106. Do you want to come meet her? And, of course, my first thought was, God, no. But you don't get a story that way, so I went along knowing nothing about her. I mean, this lovely black woman comes out, 90 pounds, well-dressed, and I said, you know, I did no due diligence. I said, you know, did you ever go to college? Yes, I went to Grinnell. Actually, I was the first African-American to graduate from Grinnell in 1937. Mm. I met Amelia Earhart, Herbie Hancock taught my kid. It was, we ran it over several pages in the Sun-Times, and it was this incredible story, and I was just trying to be nice to a reader and go to some old woman's party. You, you know? never know what you'll you stumble upon. You never know. Upon. You got to go. So my last question is for both of you. What do you think? defines Sun-Times reporting and the Sun-Times ethos today? You first, Stefano. Oh, that's a good... <laughs> I know, I know. While you think of it, I'll jump yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, you jump um, in, you jump in. I have been on staff for 37 years. I've never been at a more exciting, dynamic time in the Sun-Times. I think the marriage with BEZ brings two deep benches, famous news organizations, I was at a party last night that we had have a, excited young people everywhere, but experience as well, I like to think, still has some value. And so I, I think that we are really thinking hard, trying to figure out 
what Chicago is, what they need, and trying to bring in alternate voices that will join the conversation to make sure everyone is seen, everyone is heard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a thrilling time. I can't, I can't overestimate that. It does, it does feel pretty electric. It yeah. does. Yeah. What do you think, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I, too, feel as excited as I've been since I've, I've been at the Sun-Times for 20 years. And I just, you know, the story you talked about, the Madagascar story, the, I just, there's just something in the air that, uh, you know, makes yeah. you want to dig, find great stories. Yeah. Well, you guys are the best at doing so. We've been talking with Neil Steinberg and Stefano Esposito from the Chicago Sun-Times. The paper celebrates 75 years in print tomorrow. Be sure to pick up a copy or just head over to the website suntimes.com in the morning for much more. Neil and Stefano, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. episode of Reset was produced by Dan Tucker, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather. Stay in the know with everything happening in Chicago and the world by subscribing to our podcast. We publish episodes each weekday and on Saturdays. That's all for this morning. We'll talk to you later this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.